Hi, I'm Josh Stanton, a proud Old Dominion Class of 2017 alum in Pennsylvania, and you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. Go ODU! Monarch Nation, today we're welcomed by ODU head ball coach Ricky Ronnie. Welcome to the show, coach. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, we're blessed to have you. Congrats on getting your team to this position. What does it mean to you, for you and your guys, to be in this position to grab full eligibility? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a you always wish you'd get there earlier. Right. But um, having this opportunity to play for it is important um, to get to bowl eligibility, you know, would be something that would be an important part step for our program. You know, it gets us 20 more days together with this team. It allows us to get some more opportunities to get some practice with some of our younger players and see more of what they have. You know, it, it kind of ends as like a, another spring practice. So it allows us to get a little bit better. And so that would be that'd be uh, huge. All right, Coach, obviously we don't want to give any trade secrets away, but we're all about educating our fans. Uh, to help educate our fans on what they see our offense do, could you walk us through the mind of the quarterback when a running play or an RPO is called in from the sideline up to the point where the ball snap? Yeah. Uh, well, first he gets to the play, and, uh, you know, some of the plays have an RPO built into them. Some of them there's an RPO tag onto it, um, so it just kind of depends. At that point, he's got to understand, all right, who are the – who? Are, you know, there's only five offensive linemen, right? So who are the five offensive linemen blocking? Um, if the tight end is involved, who, who's the tight end blocking? So, who you know, either five for five or six. And then the uh, quarterback knows, you know, I have the extra guy. And where is that extra guy coming from? Um, and then how do I deal with that extra guy based on what the RPO is? So, you know, sometimes it's a, a downfield throw uh, with a safety hitting it. Sometimes it's, you know, reading a defensive end and then reading the support player, almost like old school triple option. Um, sometimes it's reading a linebacker for either a handoff, a give, or some sort of throw. But it's just the quarterback, giving the quarterback the power to understand how to deal with them. And then a lot of times there's multiple ways you can deal with them, um, depending on where they're sitting. If they're closer to the line of scrimmage, farther away from the line of scrimmage, um, there's just a bunch of different things that you can do. And, and so really, really get good at this offense. You have the ability to kind of solve your own issues. And, you know, there's times you can turn things into a pure pass play. There's times you can – you know, you know, run, read a guy like for a run play, uh, you know, another run. So there's a bunch of different things that you can do. And I think that the, the more you get experience with it, the more you, you'll feel empowered. And and actually, you get more freedom. You know, it, it, it gives uh, Coach Decker the ability to kind of tag everything, you know, and that sort of thing. And I think that's where, you know, as a quarterback, you start to feel, you know, you start to feel pretty darn good at, the, at that point. Yeah, that's got to feel great. Uh, you know, as a quarterback, that's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of things to see what's going on. Outside of the reads that the quarterback has and the play that calls in, does he have any leeway to, you know, adjust that play? Or does that kind of just depend on where you are in the offense and how much experience the quarterback has? Yeah, I mean, sometimes he does. You know, sometimes that you want to run a certain a play a certain way, um, meaning like to a certain technique on the front, you know, either the what we call the one technique that, the nose guard. Um, sometimes you want to run it to the three technique. Um, sometimes you may want to run it to a 
certain linebacker, you're not sure where he's going to be lined up or something to that effect. Um, so there are times when he's going to make those changes. And then there's other times when, like I said, he has the ability to kind of change maybe an RPO into just a true drop back pass play based on uh, the type of uh, defense that is being shown. Awesome. All right, coach, we're going to keep grilling you about some offensive strategy here. Uh, going to switch to the wide receivers, though. Uh, I know that we run a lot of choice or option routes with our wide receivers. Can you kind of walk us through what those choice option routes are and why they're so pivotal for us to incorporate into our offense? Well, I won't give away exactly what they are, but I will give you what they can be. I mean, basically, it allows you to be right based on the leverage and depth of the defender that you're getting it against. And it does take some time. It's why you see, you know, I thought we were much better in this last game, particularly later in the game and some, some things. I think that it's why you see offenses that or teams that run this offense, they tend to be much better their second year running this offense because they have a better feel for that part of the offense on the, op- the option or choice routes or however you want to say that they are. You know, we did a little bit of that type of stuff in our last offense. Um, so it wasn't devoid of that. It's, there were certainly some shorter ones. You know, Zach Koontz um, and Ali Jennings had numerous catches on choice and option routes. And then Ali had a bunch of catches on some deeper option routes that, that we ran as well. Some of our most explosive plays were some deeper option routes. So they probably didn't look that way to the to probably even the defense, to be really honest with you, the way he ran them. So it it's not like we haven't done this and most teams have those type of things in their offense. We just do it probably a little bit more. So it does require some, um, some time and, a, and some conviction and running things with belief. Um, and it also, it's trust between, you know, the quarterback and the receiver. And really it's also time on job. I mean, you just have to do it more and more and then you feel really comfortable with it. And then there, you don't feel like there's a coverage that they can stop you in. Awesome. Yeah, that's, I think, always the question of how do you make sure the quarterback and the receiver are seeing the same thing on the field once the ball is snapped? Uh, kind of related to that question, I know we've seen a couple of times this year with some defenses, they will kind of bluff a look to you or change it right the the point of the snap, kind of trying to intentionally force a read a certain, one, a certain way, one way or another, depending on what the call is. You know, how Does that kind of disrupt what we're trying to do offensively, or do we kind of have built-ins there to where – all right, yes, they bluffed their blitz and they backed out into a zone. We can go attack it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of teams are doing that now. I mean, trying to show some things, show one thing, give another. Our defense obviously does it quite a bit as well. No, I mean, it, you you want to get pre-snap indicators and post-snap confirmation is kind of what we always say. You know, so you can't just say, okay, well, this is what the pre-snap thing and just do it. You still have to get some sort of post-snap confirmation on the thing. You know, because if not, you're going to be, you know, throwing a ball into the flat against cover two, which every quarterback in the history of football has done and feel like an idiot right after you've done it. So, yeah, you still have to. We still have answers for those sort of things. Uh, Yeah. All right. I got to get you to clarify something for us. And it's our four wide stack set. We've got to get the right name for it. We've called it like the Decker double stack, the discount double stack, a bunch of different things. What is it called within the team? And what can we as fans use to nickname that thing? Well, again, I probably won't tell you what's called here. Uh, I don't like to give that away because it does uh, make some things a little bit easier for, as, as we've seen with uh, in college football right now, it does make it easier to get those signals if you know what it's called. You know, I would say, I think whatever you guys want to call it, I kind of like all those, you know, although I will say as a 
football coach, all of our formations, anywhere I've ever been, like the original formation. Now there's always adjustments, but the original formation is always one word. You know what I mean? And, and really it's usually one syllable, you know? Uh, so that's how a lot of things are done. And, but, you know, just so you can get it out easier. Cause you know, you're going to have some sort of kind of, for lack of a better term, you're going to have some sort of adjustment to all those formations. You know what I'm trying to say? So, you know, we, uh, we like to keep them to one word, no doubt about it. All right. We'll go back to the drawing board on that one. The, the... I, yeah. But you guys are going out. I mean, I, I like it, you know I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Decker double stack, I think, has been the go-to so far. But we'll uh, we'll okay. work on that. And see. What I mean, I didn't know if you're like double decker, like so that you could just call it bus or whatever you wanted to call it. I don't oh. know. You know what I'm saying? All right, I like that. I like that. Like where your head's at. All right, coach. Offensive line play can be a thing of beauty that no one notices. We've seen you incorporate many different blocking schemes up front to bust some big runs and create time for the quarterback. Can you walk us through some of our basic blocking concepts? Well, I'll tell I'll give you this the overall like strategy of what we're trying to get done. What you're trying to do with the offensive line is you're trying to give them angles as much as possible to block. You don't, you know, so sometimes when you look at things and you look and you say to yourself, all right, well, we want to zone that. And then you look at the angles and the angles just aren't good. You know what I mean? So like let's say you have this, right? You have two linemen, defenders here and the other defenders here. To zone right to get back to that guy can be really difficult, right? Because you just don't you don't have an angle. So on that point, you may want to zone all the way through and push everything through so that you can have angles on people. Because the reality of it is you want to be on the down lineman for as long as possible. Right. And so the longer you can be on the down lineman, the longer you can the more you can get movement and those sort of things. But if you're on the down lineman and your angle isn't bad, what happens is, or the angle isn't good, you end up working against each other. So if I'm blocking here and then this guy's coming this way, but his, his guy's there, we end up working against each other on that down lineman. So you want to get where you guys are working together so you can get movement. What I, what I think that sometimes fans don't understand is it's always not going to be vertical movement, right? I mean, these guys are getting coached too. I mean, if they were getting blown three, four, five, six, seven yards off the ball, I mean, obviously we're going to keep running the ball every down and then, Second of all, I mean, we're probably murdering that team, right? I mean, like that that's not a thing. In the Sun Belt, the t- I mean, we play good football teams, right? We're well coached. So you're going to get some vertical movement, but you're also going to get horizontal displacement, right? You're going to be able to knock a guy out of his gap by knocking him horizontally. So it, what you're trying to do is just get some sort of movement at, at all. The Defense, on the other hand, is trying to get displacement. They're trying to make sure that they can get the O-line off levels, right? And so that's why they're trying to knock back and split things and do those sort of things. They're trying to get them off level so that they can't be double teamed anymore. And that's why you see guys like running through, like Jason and some of our Wayne will run through sometimes. Because when they do that, now it makes the double team come off, and then all of a sudden it's harder to block our defensive line that way, right? So it's a lot about making sure that you you have those sort of angles in order to dictate how those how the blocks are getting done so that's why we do run so many different schemes whether we're pulling somebody maybe that's the best way for us to get get our angle right where you know we may be pulling for the linebacker we may be pulling to trap or kick out what defensive lineman and maybe a zone blocking scheme where hey we're gonna zone right but even on zone blocking schemes you're still zoning to people most of the time 
right? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So it's not like you're just zoning. I'm just going to zone indiscriminately over here. You're still zoning to people. Now, there are some outside zone plays where you might zone to an area and say, all right, hey, we're just going to pick up whoever comes into this thing and that sort of thing. So it, there's a bunch of different things that you're trying to get done, but all of them are the base concept is you're just trying to get angles. All right. That was taught a long time ago that you're trying to get numbers, angles, and grass, right? Yeah. So, you know, where, where do I have the most numbers, right? Where do I have the best angles? And then where's the, where, where can I have the most space? I mean, football is a, uh, you know, I mean, it's essentially trench warfare, right? I mean, you know, it's World War One. everyone's dug in and where can you try to, you know, find that ability to get through? You know what I mean? And that's why there's so much innovation in the game of football. Same reason tanks came about, same reason machine guns came about, right? I mean, you're trying to find a flamethrower, right? All those sort of things that were innovative in, in World War One because you had to find a way to, to get that space. Well, you know, football, that's why you're innovating all the time too. You know, I was also, you know, sometimes you expand to get that space like we do, right? Other times, some people will constrict everything and now you're being able to create space other ways, right? By either creating more gaps or now there's space on the outside because you brought everybody in. All right. So when Coach Decker was hired, I was very excited because I knew it would bring some life to the running game. And that has shown to be the case this year. Um, obviously, that's a big part of the offense, the offensive line. But another big part of that is Jalen Butler. He's kind of an unsung hero in this group. Uh, can you tell us your thoughts on his performance this year and what a weapon he has been for you? Yeah, you know, we want to continue to find ways to get him the football um, because he can be a great receiver for us. Um, and he, on those option routes, he's actually, he's got a good feel for him and he's doing a nice job on those. But we've asked him to block a lot this year. For a guy who played wide receiver in, col in junior college, who's already put on 20 pounds with us, you know, I think Coach Harper has done an unbelievable job of getting him ready to go, and he is blocking much, much better. You know, and long term, that's going to help his future. For the NFL to be able to see him block, that's going to that's going to be a huge thing because they're going to be able to notice that he can run and catch and do something, and they don't really care about his stats as much as people probably think, right? They want to see him do that other stuff. So he's doing a nice job. He really is. And his what he does is he gives us sometimes the angle is him blocking a defensive lineman. Sometimes the angle is him blocking a, uh, a linebacker. Um, he's been great in pass pro. And by bringing him in, it allows us to – they don't know where the extra gap is going to happen. Right. So, you know, we can put that extra gap might be the C gap, might be the B gap, might be the A gap. Doesn't matter. The team we're about to play does an unbelievable job of that. They do it differently. They actually line their tight up tight end in those gaps. They'll separate their offensive line and actually put their tight end as like basically the guard or basically the tackle. Um, so they do it a little bit differently than we do, but they're still trying to do the same thing. They're just creating a different gap. Obviously, huge win this past week at Georgia Southern. No one's gone in there and won this year. That game, no different than any of them this year, really have been close. Your team's been a 9-1 possession game this season, the most in the country, and you've had to make many difficult decisions late in those games. Some have worked out, some haven't, but that's how football goes at this level. How have those experiences helped you and your staff grow as coaches? Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to – it's one of those things where you've got to live that one and oh mantra, but that doesn't mean I don't learn from things. Right. You know, and, uh, but you can't let 
maybe something that didn't go right. You know, sometimes the decision doesn't go right. It's still the right decision, right? On the flip side, sometimes the decision works. It doesn't make it the right decision, right? And so like when I've looked back at it, um, some of the things I've done, I'm like, yep, I would do that again exactly the same way. And it didn't work, you know? Um, And then there's some of them where I'm like, no, that was, wouldn't do it that way again. And it worked, (laughs) you know what I mean? But what I've got to do is I've got to learn it and see why it worked or why it didn't work and and then go from there. There's also some things that there's some decisions you're going to make in a game that maybe you didn't make early in the year. And it's not, you're not changing why you did it based on because it did or didn't work. You're changing it based on what's happening in that game at that moment. You know, and you have to be able to adjust on what is happening around you, your opponent, how you're playing, injuries, all those sort of things. So that's also going to change some of these decisions. You know, it's not always going to be one of those situations where it's going to be, uh, hey, I made this time, I just this time uh, and it didn't work. So now I'm not ever going to do that again. I mean, that's not I can't be like that. I can't be a prisoner of the moment like that. I've got to make better decisions than that. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not one of those people who uses the book and all that sort of stuff, because I think the book, while a useful tool, and I understand analytics and I appreciate it, I think the book struggles to take into account, did a guy get a twisted ankle, right? Is a guy just not having his best day that day? Is you know, is a guy hot and he's just moving people left and right on the offensive line? Like, is a quarterback doing well? Is your defense playing really well? Is your defense playing not so well? I mean, like, I think that, you know, that's hard for those books to take into consideration, which is why football hasn't been as analytics based, at least successfully, as per, like, for example, basketball and baseball have been. Right. I mean, those games, particularly baseball, um, they had to make rules to get rid of some of the analytics because those analytics were so good because it's one pitcher on one batter. You know, and so it makes it a little bit harder in football. All right. Switching gears a little bit, looking to to Saturday. Uh, it's going to be senior day for a number of fifth and sixth year guys. And, and obviously they've been through a lot with this program from going back to 2019, the COVID year and everything that's kind of transpired since then. Uh Want to know, do you have a number estimate of how many are going to be walking out on the field before the game Saturday? And just talk a little bit about what this the fifth and sixth year senior class has meant to you in your time here. Yeah, it's going to be anywhere between 10 and 14. So not quite as many as last year. Yeah, this class means a lot to me, obviously, because uh, I've got to coach them a little bit longer. You know, that first class was important to me because those guys really trusted me and, and those sort of things. But this class, it means a lot to me. Yeah, I've been with these guys for a while. Some of these guys have been with for a long while. You know what I mean? And if not, if it's a guy who transferred in here, it they trusted us to to help them along with their career or to give them a great, you know, last experience of their college career or for some of them, even their football career. So, yeah, it's an important deal. You know, I think the hardest part for these young men is like, it was a little bit harder for me. And I don't mean that, I mean that for one very simple reason. I knew that was my last football game of my life, right? So like, and for me, like when it was my, when it was the last game of my last regular season, I knew that was it. Now my senior day was actually the week before because we didn't play my last game at home. We played it on the road, but these guys, 
don't necessarily know that, right? Because we can win and play in a bowl game. Some of them can, some of them might still transfer. Some might go play in the NFL. I knew none of those things were up on the horizon for me. So I do think it's got a little bit different um, than maybe it used to be. But for some of our guys who are know that one of these games, one of these last two games will be their last game of their lives, it, it means a little bit more. You know what I mean? And the one thing they all know is, yeah, this is their last game in, in SB Ballard Stadium, or as you guys call it, the castle. I think that Mr. Ballard would prefer that I continue to call it SB Ballard Stadium, so I will I will do so. But uh, although I do like the castle, it's kind of cool. But, yeah, so those guys, you know, knowing that's their last time playing there, and as many times as they've put the uniform on, uh, yeah, it means a lot. All right, Coach, I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but we wanted to use this time to kind of educate fans. And uh, if they want to hear your thoughts on Georgia Southern, they should go and listen to the presser or listen to the coaches show tonight. Um, obviously you're going to cover Georgia state as well in both of those situations. So um, this will be our only Georgia state question this weekend. We, we host six and five Georgia state uh, fresh off a tough trip to Baton Rouge. What can fans expect this weekend from Georgia state? Uh, they have a very tough football team. They're coached by a tough man who's very passionate, ton of respect for coach Elliott. You'll watch him on the sideline, and he gets into it. And he is very, very into it. Um, they they play tough. You'll watch him in pregame. I recommend watching him in pregame. I'm being dead serious when I say that because he gets into it pretty darn good. That That's what we should expect from them, a tough team that uh, is going to give us every – thing they have and we know they're talented so this is gonna be this is gonna be a heck of a football game okay coach so throughout this season we've seen some new wrinkles get unveiled as the season has kind of progressed uh obviously we saw some trickeration in the last one that worked out brilliantly uh, i have to ask because it was beautiful to to watch is there much that we haven't seen yet yeah yeah there's still some other stuff yeah i mean we've been working on some things for a while you know, that's usually what hap- happens on those deceptives. I like to call them deceptives, not tricks. You know, I, I learned that one from uh, watching Urban Meyer a bunch. You know, it just sounds better, right? Trick sounds like it was luck. Uh, deceptive sounds like you were like try, like like yeah, like we knew this was going to work the whole time. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, uh, you know, we they take some time to to work on and do some of those sort of things. So yes, we definitely still have some things out there. And it's got to be the right time. It's got to be the right opportunity. There's been some times where uh, Coach Deck has asked me, hey, should we run it here or should we run this here? And I said no. There's a couple times I've said, hey, what about this? And he's like, I just don't feel good about it right now. So, I mean, they've come up, you know, they've come up. and uh, But that was the perfect time. He didn't really need to ask me on that one because we kind of talked about it pregame. And, and I he called it. And. I've never been more confident that the play was going to work in my entire life, to be very honest with you. So that was pretty awesome. It worked well, and Grant put that guy on skates. So that was a lot of fun for us. Yeah, it was a heck of a throw, first of all. You know what I mean? I mean, like to get that ball, put it, and get it out there, uh, what a great job by Granger. He really well blocked on the front side of that play, which was a huge part of it. Um, Because, you know, you get some penetration with a guy who's not a quarterback, that thing can go hairy quick, you know? I thought Grant sold the heck out of it because one of their guys actually kind of made a mistake and was back there when he really shouldn't have been. And I'm not saying that from like, he shouldn't have been there. Like we don't think we didn't want him there. Like you look at the defense, like he should not have been there. And so it was like, Oh man, but he really, he sold it. He didn't panic. I ran that in a game once and I, I panicked 
like a little chump, and then and then the ball got batted away by the free safety. So he, he did it much better than I did. Awesome. Well, uh, switching gears again a little bit here. Uh, recently, the Pride of ODU NIL Collective was announced and put out there publicly for fans to, to sign up and go support. You know, what does that collective being started mean to you and for the program? It's just a way for us to be able to adjust to the changing climate of college football and to give our guys another opportunity. Let's give our guys as many opportunities as possible and reasons to stay and be successful at Old Dominion. I mean, and, and I think that that's the thing that, that it does. You know, it's not one of those things where, you know, you're going out and, you, and, and you're using it for other things. You're trying to get guys to stay here and develop in those sort of things. And, I, and that's why I really appreciate what the, uh, you know, the people have started and supported that collective. That's really what it's about and what it's for. And if it helps our guys be a little bit more comfortable, it helps them maybe help their families a little bit more. If it helps them eat a little bit better, if it helps them recover a little bit better then i mean that's only going to help them be better player and us be a better team all right coach so you know you've talked with us before you know we always end with fun questions here's that point we know you and your family have checked off all the baseball stadiums now did you ever go to turner field yeah okay we had to do atlanta twice okay. yeah because we went to turner field earlier and then uh and then we uh so then we had to go back uh this year or is it this year yeah, this year we went over the spring, over the spring um, this year so that we, we could get it knocked off. And then obviously we played them last year there and all that sort of stuff. It's a way different atmosphere than uh, um, way different environment. Than, it's kind of weird. I mean, to be very honest with you, they did a great job and I'm sure they're very happy with it, but it is a weird environment. It is. Hey, you beat me to my follow-up question. We were going to ask you if it was weird to coach a game at a place you attended for baseball. Well, I'd already done that. Cause we played in the pinstripe bowl and I'd been to Yankee stadium. That was really strange because I was in the booth at the time, not calling plays. I was the quarterback coach and I was in the booth and uh, you're in a, you're not, there is no booth, right? You're in a, you're in a suite, right? They're like, you know, some stockbrokers are in most of the time at that thing. You know what I mean? So it's like really, really awkward, um, but it was awesome. I mean, I loved every part of that bowl game. Um, especially because we won in overtime. But, yeah, so I had done that before. And so that, yeah, so it wasn't my first time doing that. All right, Coach, it's Christmas morning. You tear the wrapping paper off a gift with your name on it. Inside is the golden ticket that says, good for one college football rule change. What rule are you changing and why? All right, so, uh, uh, oh, man, I got two, though. I got two. You can, you can get one's, both. One's pregame, one's during the game. One's during the game, one's pregame. And the one in the pregame, no one would ever matter. Well, no one would ever look. So I'm taking two. All right. The first one is this. There is called what's called a long side and a short a short side in pregame warmups. And it lasts until the 45-minute mark. And that's where, like, the kickers are kicking the ball into the other team. Right? It's bananas. It, that makes no sense. And, we, and all the time, the only almost fights in college football always occur because of the long side and the short side. The coaches almost get into it. Eventually, one of, there's always going to be some jerk punter or kicker that's going to just kick on and like make a scene of it and all that sort of stuff. Eliminate that. 45-yard lines each, the point of no return there in the middle, right? And then you, just, you stay on your sides. Kickers, if you want to go out there and kick it long, go out there before the 90-minute mark and wail away, right? But once the 90-minute mark hits, 
no, we're doing it 45 yard line. So we don't have any issues, that sort of thing. So that's pregame. Actually that, if I could get that done, I would feel more accomplished about football than anything else I've ever done in my entire life. All right. So there's number one. Number two, there should be grades of targeting. Right. So, for example, if the ridiculousness of that Boston College kid that he that, that we all saw that on Twitter, like that was targeting of like the to the nth degree. Yeah. Toss him out of the game. Right? Get out of here. OK. But if something happens like what happened with Terry, it's like make, okay, fine for a 15 yard penalty. I'm fine with that. But he shouldn't have to miss the first half of his senior day. If, if he, and, and, and he's actually, um, he's actually not walking. So it's not a senior day, but he shouldn't have to miss of, of a bunch of his boys and all that sort of stuff going, right? He shouldn't have to do that. He shouldn't have to miss that game for a play. I don't know how to co- coach him to tell him not to do that. Like the guy, if because if the guy doesn't go down for the ball, if the guy just tr- puts his hands down instead of putting his whole entire body down there, which I'm not telling that young man to do that either, right? But let's just say he did. Terry would have hit him in the gut with his shoulder pad, by the way. The exact perfect hit that we want everything to happen. So in my mind, there should be just like like other, there should be flank, flagrant ones and flagrant twos, right? There should be targeting ones and targeting twos. And if you get two targeting twos in a season, then you do miss the next half. You know what I'm saying? But like a targeting one, fine. Like the way the rule stands down, you know, the target, two targeting twos, anytime in the season, you miss the next half, man. You like, you got to find a way, you know what I mean? But that's how I feel like that should happen. And now really, if I was really doing it, I would say a target, two targeting twos within a four game span. You know, is how I'd really do it, or even a six games. But those would be the two rules that I would change. I think that's fair. Is that you can't put the human lawn dart in the same conversation as what happened to Terry? No, they're totally di- like one guy is trying, like whether he's trying to hurt him or not, it looks like he's trying to hurt somebody and, and do something egregious. Let's be real. We all know Terry. Terry could have done something bad to that kid, right? And he chose not, he made a choice not to and still got punished. And guess what? Based on the rules, the, it was right. So I don't want people to think that I don't think that the way the rule is officiated. That rule was officiated right on that play. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm saying the, that particular rule should be modified. Yeah. I, Terry's probably like the last person on the defensive roster that I would want to go up against. It close <laughs> him and Henderson, but Terry, he's, yeah, he could do something. So, all right. We got one more question for you, coach. Uh, the Miss Michigan sign stealing shenanigans. They've been a big story all year. We won't ask you to comment on that specific situation unless you just want to. Uh, but what are your thoughts on a potential remedy for this being communication devices and helmets like we see in the NFL? All right, I actually have a very big opinion on this. I won't talk about the sign stealing thing because I will say this. If they were doing on what they were alleged to be doing, guys, that's way over the top. That's not everybody's doing it. That's not one of those things. That's way over the top. That's very similar to what the Astros were doing in their thing, right? Like everybody's ceiling side, like, but there's a limit and a level to it, right? You understand what I'm saying? So, so to go to that thing, that if they're doing, that's a bad, that's a bad deal, right? That's a bad deal. All right. Now on to the next thing. I am all for helmet to helmet communication, but I want it in everybody's helmet. Like, I think everybody should have it. 
And, and if that's the case, because if not, you still have to signal. Like you still have to do something, right? Like you, still, if you, if the quarterback only has it, how do the wideouts know? Right? You know what I'm trying to say? So eventually, there's still going to be some signals and stuff. Because like, I'll just give you, this, I'll just tell you the truth. When we were playing Pitt back in the day, they were really good at their signals were hard to pick up. Okay, what we started realizing is they would call two plays on every one of their signals. And then based on the formation, they would call another thing. So we start stopped looking at the coaches and started looking at the players because the players had to signal to each other what they were doing. So we were started, we started to be able to p- pick up the signals based on what the players were doing, not what the coaches were doing. Right. So then when Pitt, guess what, when Pitt figured that out, you know what they did? They stole our formation signals. So then they could just signal in directly to their kids what they were doing the way they were doing it. And then they told their kids to not signal to each other at all. Just do what we tell you to do because they had our formations. So it's like, you know, there's that's some in-game stuff that's really cool. I think I think that's I think that's kind of cool. I mean, no one like I, I love how we have movies about like the Enigma machine and things like that and code breaking and things like that. And it's really cool. And everyone's oh, look how cool it is. But now that it's in football, now it's. Now people think it's like cheating and stupid. I don't understand it. Like whole things are built on this. You know, they're, you know, the Navajo code talkers and all that sort of stuff. That stuff is cool in movies, but now it's not. I mean, like it's, that's all we're doing. Right. But if you have the, the problem with the helmet communication is this. In the NFL, they can do that because the NFL runs it. So an NFL worker is turning that thing off at 15 seconds. Right. Or as the ball is snapped. Guys, we obviously can't trust each other. We this we're all talking about this because of this big scandal that happened. Right. Like, is everyone? I mean, like, that's what I don't think. So it's like we're, we can't trust a worker who is a well, since they're the ones involved. How can we trust a Michigan stadium worker to do this and not leave it on for the whole play for the quarterback? and leave it on all 15 seconds for the other team, right? You have to now employ a Sunbelt official to turn that thing on and off. You have to, like, you don't have an option there. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that that's one of the things that, you know, people have got to understand. But if you remember in, what was it? The XFL, I think everyone had it. Yes. Yep. And it worked pretty darn well. Worked pretty darn well. I mean, I'm not just saying the offensive players. I, I want the, the defensive players should have it too, you know? And everyone's like, well, they'll just be getting coached too much and they'll just be like robots. It'll be like a video game. No, it won't. It's one guy will be able to talk to him. You know what I'm trying to say? And he'll be, and if he's trying to coach everybody at once, let me assure you that he is coaching nobody. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that's not a thing. It's not a thing. I mean, that, that's not really going to happen. So I'm all for it. Now, what I do want, and obviously they've done the research, so I think this will be fine. I would want to know that the helmets were still safe for the kids and all that sort of stuff. Like that it didn't affect the helmet structurally. I assume you're putting a $52 million quarterback's head in there. So I got to assume that they'll be fine. Right? You know what I'm saying? So and Yeah, I think they can. I was just going to make a note. You talk about the league and competing with each other and how that could impact this without an official turning it off. You'd also have to worry about the different stadiums. 
Louisiana Monroe hosted a game earlier this year where they didn't have power for the whole first half. Yeah. And uh, I think it was Southern Miss where your communication devices weren't working. Southern Miss, their headsets went off, so we had to take ours off. And you guys probably saw me losing my mind because they had theirs on before we did. And I was like, whoa, theirs are the ones that went off. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why? Are, now, what they were doing, they were just checking that Coach Coach Hall is a very, a lot of respect for Coach Hall. I don't think I want that duly noted. I do not think he was doing anything nefarious or anything like that. But you're right. I mean, it now you're adding another layer to that. You're adding another layer to that. Oh, there's no question. There's no question. And so you would have to upgrade a lot of things, which I still think we do need some upgrades. Like, you'd love to see the pylon cam at every stadium, right? I think not only at the uh, not only at the end zone, but also at the first down marker. I think that's something that would help. Re- and, and listen, I'm not saying you played anywhere other than instant replay. The instant replay official is the only one that needs it. I, it doesn't need to go anywhere else, you know. But I mean, those would be things that would probably need to go down. Yeah, I'm sure some JMU fans would love a pylon cam right now after that game. <laughs> yeah, I think well, it was a good touchdown. He had the elbow over. Yeah, with the ball in it. I think he's yeah, I mean the interesting part about that is just like if you're if you're App State, you don't want guess what? If you're App State, you want it to. Because you don't want the clock, you don't want you, you don't want you don't want anybody to say that you were gifted that win. You took it, you want it. You know what I mean? So guess what? You want at App State, you want the exact same thing as JMU wants. You believe that it was over and they believe it wasn't. All right, Coach. I just want to say thank you for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. Can't wait to talk to you next time. And can't wait to be at Ballard this weekend to pack the castle and hopefully send you guys off to a bowl. Yeah, anybody can get there. Let's go. I know if you're probably listening to this podcast, you're probably already going to be there anyway, or or you can't be because you're uh, on deployment or you're not in the state or whatever. Um, But if you can listen to this thing and you can find a way to get there, I mean, let's find a way. I mean, it's, it's too easy. Hey, ask one of your buddies who has season tickets. They will get you a cheap ticket. It is not hard. You know, there's a, there's deals for $10 for a ticket. What You tell me what else you can get. What other entertainment can you have for $10 for three hours entertainment? I mean, like, that, it doesn't exist. And go show up early, tailgate. Everybody's always got extra beer, I assure you. Right? I mean, like, that's happening. So there's extra food. Actually, like, everyone's... I mean, I've never heard of anybody at our tailgates getting turned away. You know what I mean? I mean, and so go show up, go hang out, and you know, let's just show everybody with seven five seven football, Hampton Roads football, and ultimately Old Dominion football what we can be about. Absolutely, and as always, if you don't have somewhere to tailgate, you're always welcome to tailgate with us in the blue lot. Let's pack Ballard and send you guys off the way you guys deserve. So, thank you, Coach, and go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Thanks, guys.